You're listening to the Rachel's English Podcast. I am so glad to have you here. In this podcast, we discuss topics in American conversation, pronunciation, and culture. And today's episode focuses on culture. If you would like a free transcript for this podcast, just visit rachelsenglish.com slash podcast and look for this episode. Today, I'm here with my husband, David. Hey, David. Hey, everybody. And we're going to talk about friendships in America. David, you have lots of friends. I do. So I think you're probably going to have a lot to add to this one. All right. So I want to, the thing that made me think about this podcast is two different emails that I got. Actually, one was a comment on YouTube. And this person whose username is Management Courses said, you're so lucky to have friends who are supportive, both males and females. David, this was on a video that I made with Dave at uh, the 4th of July when we were in Clark Park talking about 4th of July traditions. Right. Do you remember that video? Yeah, I do. I'll link to that video in the show notes, everybody. But it was me with a friend who's a man discussing what we like to do on the 4th of July. So this person says, can you make a video on how to build more supportive friendships? What do you do to be a better friend? In my culture, after marriage, the wife's friendships suffer, and you can't keep close friendships with the opposite sex. I had the misconception that Americans don't value friendship or their friendships are not long-lasting or shallow. Your videos showed me the opposite. So that's great. I'm so glad that my videos showed that Americans do value friendship and that friendships are not just shallow um, or short-lived. Absolutely. But so let's try to talk a little bit about friendships. Let's focus in on some of the specific questions. How to build more supportive friendships. Now, part of what's so great about having David on this podcast is not only does he have a ton of friends, But he's also a therapist, and so he talks to a lot of other people about their friendships and their relationships in general, and, you know, has a lot of things to say about this kind of thing, I think. David, what would you say makes a better friend, makes someone a good friend? Sure. Well, first of all, I guess while I'm thinking of it, I think part of what's interesting is that from a non-native speaker's perspective or someone who's new to American culture, I think it, it, because of advertising and sort of <laughs> just the way things look from the outside, I think it's easy to assume that for all of us, really, that for other people, making friends is really easy. I think it's um, something that we feel like we should be able to do. You know that um, everybody else is out there having a good time. Look at everybody on TV. When in reality, I think the opposite is true. I think the majority of people, uh, you know, are either wishing they had more friendships or uh, wishing that, you know, things about the friendships that they do have uh, might be a little bit different. Like they, they often wish that they were more close with more people. So I think that's the first thing that popped to mind is that, you know, a lot of people, um, non-native speakers and native speakers alike, struggle with this, even though I, I don't think, I mean, I, I really appreciate the courage in the question because I don't think a lot of people bring this up. Yeah. No, it's a good point. I mean, as I'm sitting here listening to you talk about this, I'm thinking, you know, I could definitely say that this is true of me living in Philadelphia. I've been here for three years now and I'm definitely starting to make some friends that feel like really, really quality friendships. But 
I can't say that I've made any of those by myself. They're all friends that I made through David, that David already had established some sort of a relationship with. Like I haven't met somebody that I've turned into a friend, really, on my own. You've been connected to some friends of friends. Yeah. Also. I mean, that's that's always the end, right? When you move somewhere new, you look for connections you have to people that are there already. Yeah. But as far as, you know, if you were moving to America to go to school or for a job or something where you didn't already have anyone established in that town or in that city, that would make it really hard to know where to start. And I think, you know, for me, I could definitely say as an adult, three years, three years into that experience, I don't really have people that I have met because I have been introduced to them in a way other than through someone I already knew. Yeah, I follow. Right. It's it's not easy. No, it's really not. But having said that, we do have good friends here. And it is true that Americans do value friendship, even though probably a lot of people might like to have more friends or more closer friendships than they have. Yeah, I think to answer that part of her question, absolutely. I think Americans very much value friendships. Uh, of course, it looks different in in all cultures. But I think also something in the in the comment is also true that it can um, it can be difficult when it is um, across gender. I mean, yes, your video with Dave at the park it's a great video, and you guys are good friends, and it is not a big deal at all. Yeah, but I also think it's not uncommon for that to be you know something that causes tension in relationships yeah, in this country too. Yeah. yeah, I, I well, thought not it, even complication, but tension. You know, like or, or sort of, there's a there's a um a temptation to be distrustful of your partner. Yes, but I'm talking well. about for single for single people. There's complication there. I mean, you're talking about if you're married, mm-hmm. then like this person said, after marriage, then friendship suffers, and you can't keep close friends keep right. a close friendship with the opposite sex. Yeah, I was commenting on that part. Okay. Mm-hmm. So yes, you're right. It can be complicated if David had, although you do have really close friends that are women, and it's not weird for me yet, but I, I suppose it could be depending on if if one friendship just really set out from the rest, stood out from the rest as being just extra super important to you. That, that could be hard for me. Well, I'm not saying it should cause tension. I think it should be the opposite. I think it should be, the assumption should be that it's healthy and good and fine. Um, but I'm, I'm just, you know, to her point, it's not just in the culture that she's coming from. But I think here also, um, people make undue tension out of that situation here as well. Yet in America, it's definitely allowed. It's definitely not strange to have friends of the opposite sex after you've become married. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like she might be saying it's really frowned upon in her culture. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do, I do value, you know, like we have a friend who was one of my friends. Now you've become really close with her, Renee. Mm -hmm. And I love that you're so close with her because, you know, I love her too. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think, um, I think that can be really special. I do think when you're single and you're friends with someone of the opposite sex, who's also single, if that friendship gets really close, it can start to be complicated. People might be asking you a lot if there's something going on and, I just know from personal experience that at, at one point, at some point, you may need to have a conversation like, are, are we just friends or are we more than friends? 
Yeah, I see where you're going with this. Yeah, that's over more into right. What's what's romantic and what's not. Actually, there was a Seinfeld episode. Do you remember, David, where they were talking about can men and women be friends? <laughs> and I think it was Seinfeld was saying, no, they can't be. Oh. They can't be real friends. They can't be friends where there's not any thought of romantic or physical attraction happening. Okay. <laughs> that was Seinfeld's take. <sighs> I would disagree. I think yes. you can have a friendship that exists totally outside of the romantic and the physical. I agree. Okay, but oh, let's let's go back to the question, how to build more supportive friendships. I mean, I guess I would say if if it's an issue of finding the people who you want to be friends with in the first place. I mean, I know that this has been an issue for me. How do I meet people? Mm-hmm. When I think back on times when it was easy to meet people, it's like college where there was this set place and time where you were seeing people on a regular basis. How do you recreate that as an adult no longer in school outside of work? I mean, you could take a class. That's a, always a, a popular thing. Take a class, something where you're going to be seeing the same people over and over that you have a common interest with. Mm-hmm. Right. I think one of the things that I suggest to people is you know, spend some time thinking about what are you most interested in? What are you most passionate about? What are you, you know, what brings out the best side of you, your curious, engaged self? And then go find that out in the world somewhere where there are going to be other people who are also interested in that. So in other words, sometimes people think they should um, take up a whole new interest in um, a class, like I've never drawn before. So there's this part of my brain that goes, I should go take a drawing class. Well, actually, you know, maybe that's not the best idea. Go find something that you know is going to have you really, really energized and and curious. Because I think then you're going to be um, meeting other people who are passionate about what you are, and it can it can make an easy bridge into some opening conversations. Mm, that's a good idea. A good point. Go with something you know you love already. Another thing is, I have a friend, Kara, who just has the personality for meeting people. She'll be on the subway and strike up a conversation. She'll be checking out at a grocery store and she'll like make friends with people in line waiting to check out as well. And that's not my personality, but I mean, there's definitely something to be said for being outgoing and just saying, oh, hey, isn't this funny how whatever, starting a conversation. Right, mm-hmm. right. The temptation is to think, well, I need to make some friends. I have to go find some big, deep, meaningful friendships. When in reality, the only way to do that is to be always aware that you're sort of currently looking for friends and to strike up conversations because, you know, we don't know who's going to actually be someone that we have a good connection with unless we actually are out there talking to lots of different people. Yeah, start small. Mm -hmm. And I think in the U.S., it is very appropriate to strike up conversations. Strike up means to start. Mm-hmm. And they can be sort of out of the blue. Now, we recently recorded a podcast where I was talking about how that's my pet peeve. Mm-hmm. I, as an introvert, I just don't like having these kinds of conversations. But, you know, that don't let that stop you. If you're an extrovert or you're trying to make friends, just go ahead and start up conversations with people. You know, you can comment on on anything, something that's happening around you or, man, it's so hot today, isn't it? Or something like that. You know, or you could say to someone, oh, I love your jacket, you know, compliment them in some way, engage them in conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, 
yeah, and and just, you know, for me, that would really be pushing myself. But for some people, it's not. But okay, so we've talked about ways where you can try to start friendships. Mm -hmm. And we've established that we think Americans are open to people striking up conversation with them. Yeah, for the most part. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think also, for better or for worse, you know, for people like yourself who are an introvert, it's also very appropriate in this country to, (laughs) the phrase is to blow people off or to be just pretty disinterested if someone tries to strike up a conversation with you. So, you know, you have to kind of know that half or maybe even more than that of the conversations that you try to strike up with people, people are going to be kind of disinterested, maybe not make eye contact with you and quickly wrap up the conversation. And that's that's totally appropriate socially as well. That's called, you know, giving a subtle social cue that, you know, actually, I don't really want to talk right now. Thanks, but no thanks on your offer of a conversation. Um you know, people aren't going to come out and say, please stop talking to me. Right. But it's just drop hints. Drop hints. Yeah. And don't let that discourage you. That just means that person wasn't in the mood that day, but you can definitely keep trying. And you may find that you find someone who's also in the mood to strike up a conversation or make a friend. Another thing is where you're living, try to explore the places around there. You know, if you find a local restaurant or coffee shop or park Go there to try to strike up these conversations because then you're very likely going to be talking to people who live around you or have the same interests as you. Mm -hmm. And that's happened to you and I a couple of times during the last year and a half since Tony's been born. You know, going to the play space and other areas around our house, when you see the same person three or four times in a row, even without having said anything, you then kind of have an idea that, oh, this person is going to be here on a regular basis and it makes it easy then to go up and say hello because uh, it gives you a way to say, hey, you know, I noticed you guys have been here a couple of the same times that I have. It's sort of a bridge into starting a conversation. Now, let's talk about going up and saying hello. If, you know, English isn't your native language and you sometimes have a hard time understanding Americans, that could really stop somebody from doing that. That could really be a mental block. Yeah, I think that that's right. And I guess what I would say there is don't assume that the person isn't willing to try to help you figure out conversation. Some people may not be interested in trying to help you understand them, trying to say things a couple different ways. But other people may be very interested. Oh, who is this person who's from somewhere else who's chosen to come here? So. Yeah, just keep trying. And not not every person you talk to is going to be open to who you are, but you'll probably find somebody eventually who is. And I think another tip, too, is when you initiate the conversation, it gives you the opp- opportunity to go first. And what I mean by that is you can say something along the lines of, Hi, my name is David. I've noticed that you guys um, hang out here as well. And so I thought I would come over and introduce myself. I live in the neighborhood. In other words, you can be prepared to talk for 30 seconds or a minute about yourself in a way that you kind of have a chance to rehearse Mm -hmm. versus going up to someone and saying, you know, like as a native speaker, I can go up to someone and just say, hi, I'm David. So what are you guys, you know, what are you guys up to today without worrying at all about comprehending the long answer that might come back? But I think if you're a non-native speaker and you want to sort of avoid that, you can kind of talk for a little bit. 
versus opening with a quick question. Yeah, you can sort of prepare your little introduction. Mm -hmm. So once you've started making, like, let's call them light friendships, people Mm -hmm. that you know, you're friendly with, you know their name, how do you build them into more supportive friendships? It's a it's the big question, right? <laughs> um, Actually, that brings me to another question that came in that I'd love to read now because I think that will become part of this conversation. Okay. So this is a question that came from one of my students in Rachel's English Academy, and she's from Germany, and now she lives in the U.S. And she has said to me, you know, I find that Americans are really open to talking with me if if I'm in a really good mood and all I'm just all I'm saying are positive things, you know, life is good, life is great, everything's good, let's have fun and talk about funny things, then people are really willing to engage with her. But she said, but if I bring up something difficult in my life, something that I'm having a problem with, maybe financial difficulties or looking for a job, having a hard time finding a job, or just a struggle in general, when I bring that up, She says she finds that people don't really seem to want to talk about it. She said, of course, there are a few times where she's found people who are willing to discuss this with her. But in general, people seem to kind of turn away from that kind of conversation about the harder things in life. But the things that are present for everybody. Um, What Were you going to say something? Well, yeah. Right. I think that when we take a risk or when we're vulnerable, and share a little bit of something that's real or something that's deep. You know, she gives great examples there about, you know, things that are hard. When we are with someone who has been a casual friend and we take a risk and share something that is really, you know, deep for us, that's a, a real struggle. I think that's sort of how you figure out which of your casual friends are the relationships to really invest in and, and go for more depth with. I mean, you know, just to put some numbers on it, I think if you have 10 casual friends and with each of those 10 people, at some point you take a risk and really share something about yourself, I would expect that probably two out of those 10 conversations would then go into a deeper, um, fuller conversation. You know, it's sort of like uh, with the initial conversation with someone in line at the grocery store. You strike up 10 of those conversations, probably only two of those conversations are going to be more than just a quick, casual, um, hey, how's it going? So it's, I think it's difficult because when we're being vulnerable and sharing things that are difficult, we really, you know, we're putting ourselves out there. So it's hard to be rejected or uh, maybe that's too strong of a word, but maybe not. You know, it's a feeling of rejection that comes up when the other person doesn't want to engage. Well, that's tough when eight out of 10 times people aren't really interested in the fact that you just shared something that you're really struggling with. You know, the other side is if you can think about it as the from the positive side, you've found two people with whom you can now really invest deeply with. And I think that's a pretty compelling reason to say that the eight shutdowns, shoot, what's it called? Being shot down uh, are worth it. Yeah. So Okay, a couple of things here. One one thing is how to build more supportive, deeper friendships. One way is to simply open up more and tell more things about yourself, including things that are hard, being more real, mm-hmm. more vulnerable. Um, and then David's talking about, you know, when you try to deepen a friendship by doing that, there's a maybe a very good chance that 
that person is not ready to have that kind of a friendship with you and is just going to kind of find a way to change the subject of the conversation. Right. But a couple will likely be willing to be more receptive to that. Mm -hmm. Um, So maybe what this woman who submitted this comment, um, maybe the culture where she is in, it's more normal to talk about struggles with friendships that are a little bit less deep. I mean, for me, if I have a casual acquaintance with someone and they start talking about something that they're struggling with, this is awful, but part of me starts to wonder, what do they what are they trying to get out of me? What do they want me to do for them? Isn't that horrible? Whereas if it's a good friend, then I'm all ears. I'm listening, I'm engaged, I want to help that person. You know, I want to be there for that person. I want to help him or her fix whatever is wrong. But if it's someone I don't really know and they start talking about what's difficult in their life, I find that I don't really know what to do with that. And I start to think, why are they telling me this? Do you ever feel that? I mean, how do you? I guess it depends on how you're defining an acquaintance. But David's looking at me like he maybe doesn't agree. I think... No, no, not that I don't agree. I think that what's coming up for you in those moments is your discomfort and you're not, your disinterest in taking that relationship to a deeper place. I mean, again, I would focus on the two out of 10 times when it does feel right. You know, I, I don't think we can spend a ton of time examining the eight out of 10, but I think your energy is much better spent on those two out of 10 times when somebody that is a casual friend to you opens up and starts sharing with you and you're kind of like oh wow we're going there okay i that kind of i wasn't expecting this but all right i this okay i'm listening so one of the things that she had said was she feels like americans only want to talk about positive things and i guess what we are saying here is that that is probably true of acquaintances and people of a certain level of friendship but once you are you know, spending more time with somebody and sharing more personal things with somebody and it's reciprocated, then that person will, I think, definitely be willing to talk about your struggles. I mean, Americans don't shy away from that. They just, I think, save that kind of conversation for someone that they have a very particular kind of relationship with. And so that conversation happening outside of a friendship that they feel is very deep probably feels awkward. And that I think might be where this person is feeling shut down. Yeah. And I think that you're right that that is, I'm sure it's lodged in cultural norms and is different from place to place, from culture to culture. Uh, But yeah, I think that that's exactly right. And part of what's hard is that there's no way to know where you are sort of with another person without testing it out. Right. And then you either get shut down or the person's interested. Yeah. You can try to... um, assess and assess and assess in your mind like well you know they said this last time and i almost said something but then i didn't and i wonder if that you can go around and around in circles for hours and hours about whether or not this person is someone who you should take a risk with or you can just go for it and and sort of that takes major courage but if you can get yourself to know that you know what eight out of ten times it may not go well but it's worth it because those two out of ten times where it does go well are really, really worth it to me. So I'm going to I'm gonna go for it. Yeah, that's where you start building the real friendships. And actually, I think one way that you can test the waters, that is try, try something out with, with somebody, let's say you've met them a couple times, they're an acquaintance, you maybe consider them a friend. 
rather than opening up about yourself and saying something that you're struggling with or something that's hard for you to deal with, you can ask that person a question Mm. and then see how they respond. Do they go deep with their answer or do they just sort of give a light surfacey answer? Then that's a clue. Okay, this person isn't ready to talk about these more important things with me or this person is ready. That's a really good point. That thought had crossed my mind earlier. And I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah, absolutely. What would be an example of a kind of question that someone could ask an acquaintance slash light new friend in order to see, oh, like, how can I try to take this friendship deeper? Yeah, I think a couple things. I mean, one of the things is to say something that you noticed and ask about it. Like? Um, I noticed last time we were hanging out that you didn't mention how your husband's doing is everything going okay with you guys? Mm-hmm. Um, or even just how is blank going? Even if you have no idea if it's going to involve a good answer or a bad answer, just asking, oh, how are things going with the kids? Or how are things going at work? Yeah. Anything that anybody says you can follow up with. And how is that for you? How's that going for you? Mm-hmm. And then from there, depending on their answer, you might be able to draw them out more, see if they're interested in being drawn out more. And if they are, then that conversation will grow and probably that friendship will grow. Mm -hmm. I read an article several months ago now about um, a bunch of high schools that were accepting one year or one to two year international students have like from China. The article was focusing on Chinese students studying in American high schools. And the article was talking about how hard it is for these Chinese students to make friends in America. And I was like, gosh, of course. And part of it is in a high school situation, kids are using so much slang that these students are coming who studied English formally and they don't understand the the general idea of conversation. Like they just can't keep up. Yeah. And I think that would be incredibly hard. Um, and I think if you're in that situation, your only hope is to ask what people mean and probably be doing that a lot. And for a lot of people, that might be annoying and that might turn them off. But for a few people, they'll be willing to answer you. And then those are the people with whom I think you're going to start to develop a more real friendship. What do you think, David? Right. Exactly. Yep. I think that's exactly right. So really, making friends and turning acquaintances into deeper friends is hugely an issue of putting yourself out there. That means taking a risk, mm-hmm. being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. David, talk to me about some of your best friends, about how you met those people, where that friendship was nurtured. Sure. So uh, one of my closest friends I met in high school, so in ninth grade, and we had class together and we just, I think the first time that we spoke was during a um, an assignment in the Spanish class and we hit it off. We ended up, you know, both playing basketball and uh, that was the start of a friendship that's still really close to this day. So a friendship that carried through from childhood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We would have been, what's, how old are you in ninth grade? 15, I guess. When we met. Yeah. Yeah. 14 maybe. Okay. So that's so, one extreme. Mm-hmm. That's an example of a childhood friend. And then I guess sort of on the other end would be someone that I met about seven years ago at work who, you know, just from being at work together and having conversations there, realizing that, oh, you know what, we really get along well. And so then he and I started to hang out outside of work sometimes and, you know, 
that ended up becoming a very close friendship. Um, you know, I was the officiant at their wedding and we are, you know, extremely close now and, and see each other a lot, even though we no longer work together. So that's someone who I met later in life who, who has become a very close friend as well. And then what about Adrian? You have a really interesting story about how you met him, don't you? Yeah, so we were we had a, a mutual friend. And when Adrian and I met, we started to do some of the typical questions back and forth about, so what do you do? And we realized that we had both done restorative justice work, which is a particular kind of intervention with people in conflict. And then we realized that we had both done work around uh, domestic violence, and we were both... Um, politically engaged in sort of really similar ways and um, just sort of had this story that kept mirroring each other at every turn and um, is another example of how you can really quickly become close with someone when you realize you have a bunch of overlapping life experiences and just uh, can hit it off right away because of that. I had I had heard the story that you guys were at a bar and you just randomly met, but you actually were there because you had a friend in common. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Okay. But still, you strike up this conversation and you find you have all these things in common and then... Right. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's moved away now, but he just visited us last week. It was great to see him. That was great. Let me th- see if I can talk about some of my friendships that I have. Um, one of them... Well, I, I definitely have friends from college. That's just where I met. You know, actually, my mom has made this comment. Throughout my life, I tend to have entered into or built around me these groups of like six to eight women and that have become really close and supportive communities. I had that in high school and growing up. I had the same thing in college. And then living in New York, I developed this awesome group of women too. Um, and so that's that's been lucky. And, you know, the growing up and the college, that's obvious because you're together all the time in school. In New York, we all met because we were connected through various people. And, you know, I think New York is a is a, the kind of place where there are so many people that it's actually easy to feel lost. And so I think when you're going there, you often reach out. Who do you know? Who do you know? Who knows people in New York? And very often there are people who know people in New York. And so that can kind of build a web for you when you go somewhere. And that definitely happened for me. And... One of my other really close friends who's been in a bunch of Rachel's English videos, her name is Lynn, but we all call her Beads. I met her from a singing gig. And I think when you're in the arts and theater, the performing arts, you can make really, really amazing friends because obviously you have the same passion. And then when you're in a production, you are just hanging out together all the time. I would also say that when you're performing, you're constantly in a state of vulnerability alongside people too that's interesting yeah and people know what you're going through like if you get sick you know as a singer if you get a cold you know your other friends are like oh it's fine it's a cold you'll be okay whereas another singer knows oh my gosh that's gonna yeah gonna have to figure out how to work through that that's gonna be tough Mm -hmm. yeah well david it's been really interesting discussing friendships with you and just thinking about how many times you might kind of reach out to somebody and have them not be interested before you find someone where you can develop something more. And I, I'm really curious, is this very different from what people out there experience in their own home culture or is it, is it pretty similar? Um, 
I, I wish that I had the chance to talk with other people from other cultures about this. But thank you guys so much for listening and thank you, David, for being here and you know sharing some about your life, your background, and your perspective on friendships. Yeah, you're welcome. That was really fun. And thanks for the questions that got written in. Guys, if you would like to subscribe to this podcast, I hope you do. You can visit the iTunes store or Stitcher to subscribe. I would also love it if you would take the time to leave a review there. You know what? Go do it right now. I read all of the reviews and I really love to hear what you think about the podcast. That's it for this week. We'll be back again next week. Can't wait to talk to you guys. See you soon. Bye, guys. Bye.